You're Going to Die, the podcast is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com. I did it, everybody. I finally created a ChatGPT account. And the first thing I asked it was, give me a 15-second introduction that's funny and sweet for a podcast about creativity and mortality. And here's what you got. Welcome to the Creative Reaper podcast, where we explore the hilarious side of embracing our creative souls while dancing cheek to cheek with mortality. Join us as we uncover the secrets of living life to the fullest, one witty brushstroke and heartfelt laughter at a time. Get ready to unlock your inner Picasso and laugh in the face of the Grim Reaper, because creativity, my friend, is the ultimate brush off to the inevitable. A little disclaimer that this episode's guest, well, I kind of forced them to be on the show. (laughs) That's not true, and it's disrespectful. I want to acknowledge them for saying yes and wanting to be on the show, but the reason why we got connected was not to have them on the show. In fact, they reached out to our organization because Alisa Fornere is the executive director of her organization that she founded, PAWS. And PAWS is an organization focused on supporting communities of color through grief and end of life. And PAWS was checking in with us to see if we would be able to support their leaders, their organizers who do work in that particular context. And after I talked to Elisa, I'm almost 100% sure at the end of that conversation, I said, can we just not count out the possibility that we should have a conversation And I think you'll see when you listen to this episode in full that, ooh, my intuition was right. Obviously, it makes sense to have had this conversation with Elisa because of the way our work intersects. But I just so love a conversation that means so much to me that if we finish it and then the world ended, it will have been worthwhile. That's the kind of conversation I hope for with my guest on the podcast. And often that's the invitation I give us. Oh, by the way, hi, it's Ned, your host of your favorite creatively conscious mortality podcast, You're Going to Die, the podcast. My hope is, emphasized by the title, emphasized by the pure fact, the simple inevitability that we're all going to die, I'm saying more and more often when I click record to start these interviews, Hey, we could die in two hours, and it's real, and I'm not trying to scare us or bum us out, but what will it mean for us to share this interaction, and it'll just be ours, as if it didn't depend on a podcast, that it wasn't being recorded, but just that we shared what we needed right here and now, and likely if we do that and the world doesn't end right after the interview's over, then that conversation will matter to our listeners. And so welcome to this episode with our guest, Elisa Fournere. 
Elisa Forneray is an educator, speaker, and consultant dedicated to creating new spaces for people to explore grief and grieving. She is the founder and executive director of PAUSE, an organization focused on supporting communities of color through grief and end of life. And her writing and work about grief, work, and race have been featured in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, Psychology Today, Huffington Post, and GQ Magazine. I think that's enough said. I hope you enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Elisa Fornere. Today, I feel exhausted, I think mentally and physically. Um, I feel a little sad and also like I get these pockets of really beautiful moments of being able to be so, so, so present with a human being that has nothing to do with my work that I balance in a way that is really just like awesomely freeing from all of the work that I do. So it's very, I feel just like the complexity, I think of being a parent and being a human and being a, I think just a, a person who's grieving as well too, as we come up on mother's day, it's really, this is my second mother's day with um, a child and I'm like really tired with all the work stuff. And then on the other side of it, I had just like some really beautiful moments with him this morning at the grocery store. And I was like, I don't have to think about work at all in this. And it's very special, I think, to get that um, removal sometimes. So I'm trying to appreciate it and acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. I totally relate to that. I try not to put all of my emotional well-being on the shoulders of my kids. <laughs> but there's this real, like, real experience that you articulated a version of where I feel like it's definitely, being with them is definitely in contrast to so much of what I do with my work. And I think we're probably similar in that way with what, what you're mm -hmm. up to. Um, the relief of something that demands our presence. You know, oh, yeah. in the moment, really demands not that the other work we do doesn't have us present, you know? Yeah. really demands not that the other work we do doesn't have us present, but I just think, boy, the density of some of, of the work around end of life and grief and, and work, you know, just like work, like minus the, the topics or content of what we both do some of, um, just the work, you know, like what it means to be active and successful and getting shit done. Yeah. You know? And I think, you know, when you say like, you know, demanding that presence and being present for me, it's, I can be present day to day in the tasks that I'm doing or the conversations that I'm having and, you know, the work that I'm putting together. And there's always though, that little piece as like executive director, founder, leader, I'm still like, okay, but what does this mean for the future? What does this mean for tomorrow? What is this going to lead to? Mm -hmm. What might come out of this? How is this going to impact the folks that I work with? What can I turn this into? I think that's like part of where my brain is always going. And this morning when my son and I were at the grocery store, he like saw a watermelon 
And I said, you want to pick out a watermelon? And he picked out the watermelon and we just stood there and like drummed on the watermelon for a little bit. And I was like, there's, (laughs) you know, reflecting on that moment, Uh, there's no, (laughs) there was nothing in that moment where I was like, okay, what am I, what is this going to lead to? What am I teaching him for the future? I was like, we're just going to hang out and bang on a watermelon for a little bit. And that kind of presence, I feel like works my brain in a very, very different and special way. Um, that really feels like true. I like truly I am in this moment and I don't need to, or even my brain doesn't switch into that mode of what does this mean for the future? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Drumming this watermelon does not ever result in like a spreadsheet (laughs) needing to be done or a document (laughs) getting emailed out. Yeah, that's good. I totally appreciate that. I can't believe you've already gone to the grocery store. Um, (laughs) So let's talk about the work side and, and maybe the best starting point would be, yeah, how we met. Can you just sort of share as an introduction for how you're, you're working in the world um, a, a little bit about that? Yeah. How far do you want me to back up? (laughs) Well, I mean, there is a feeling I have right now acknowledging the sadness that you mentioned Mm -hmm. that might be a doorway into Mm -hmm. some of that story. I don't know. I don't know if the sadness is connected to your mother's death and missing her and being a parent and boy, the intensity of not having that parent while we become a parent. Um, something I'm very familiar with too, but so it, it could be like, do we go back to that yeah. and then work, work our way forward to maybe how you started doing some of the work because of your own losses? Um, does that oh, make for sense sure. as a way, way yeah, in? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And th- you know, I, I saw mother's day card to the store this morning and it was really, I think it, it's hitting me so different this year. And I, in that moment, I was like, why the fuck are these at the front of the store? This is so fucking annoying. And then I was just like, talk, I talked to my kid a lot, mostly just because I talk a lot. And I was like, you know what? You're going to buy me a Mother's Day card with daddy this year. And I kind of love the idea of you both like going out and thinking about like, what does mommy want? And like that felt, Hell yeah. that felt pretty cool to me to have the opportunity to switch sort of like how I sit with Mother's Day, um, you know, as someone whose mom is dead. So yeah, we can back up because that's like very present in front of mind okay. for me today. Yeah, um, let's do that. So I got into this work in uh, a really sort of arbitrary random way. I was working um, at a startup in New Orleans in 2015 and they... Um, unfortunately, um, by surprise, they went bankrupt and we all got laid off and I had to lay off my team. And when I was, um, letting go of my team, my head designer and I were having a conversation and we were like, you know, we want to keep working together. We both don't have a job now. Let's do something creative. Like we're both creative people. Let's keep the work going while we try and find something. So we decided to start this creative project and completely just randomly, we said, what is a topic that we could explore that feels, you know, like weird and us and taboo and we chose death. And so we worked on um, a broadsheet newspaper and photo projects and writing projects um, all over the U.S. for about a year after we were laid off and we were traveling and working on this project together when 
um, we were getting ready to go to print on the broadsheet and we were actually getting ready to take it over to London. And, uh, my mom, Deborah unexpectedly went into the ICU and died. So I had been working on this project, like I said, for about a year, but it was in this really abstract, creative, just like so detached from me and my reality, um, way that when my mom died, I recognized, I was like, Oh, I have not dealt with my own shit. I have not thought about these topics and um, rituals and all of these, you know, cultural practices that people have and this history of death and grief in a way that relates to my own life. And I haven't, you know, looked at that through my own lens. Um, so pretty swiftly after I spent, you know, uh, a couple of weeks going through my dead mom stuff and drinking whiskey on the couch and watching Gilmore Girls nonstop on repeat. I <laughs> yes, pick, I pick yes. myself back up. <laughs> I'm sorry, just that's just the best. I mean, that's a deep cut for me, and you're going to die like Gilmore Girls. I'm thinking of early events I would do where I'm just acknowledging people like we need Gilmore Girls sometimes. People like we need these places oh, yes. <laughs> to kind of numb out and check out, and you know, I'm so glad. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know what it is, and I think about this all the time Gilmore Girls for anyone who's not familiar is a TV show about like a mother daughter pair that have the deepest relationship I think that has been like portrayed on television and I don't know why I found extreme comfort in watching mm. two very mm. much alive characters in a TV show mm. connect and bond as mother daughter. But there, I, there must mm. have been something about it that felt extremely comforting. And so spent a lot yeah. of time doing that, going through my mom's stuff. And then I, I went back over, um, I went over to the UK and was living with my now husband, boyfriend at the time. Um, and I kept working on this, this project and just really got deeper and deeper into my death work and my grief work. So I started writing, I published that project and a couple of other things. Um, I started public speaking, I started hosting events and over time, my work sort of took two streams. Um, one of those streams was HR in the workplace, because when I returned um, to like a, you know, formal office nine to five uh, marketing agency job after my mom died, um, I was not held. I was not cared mm. for. I had yeah. some pretty... Um, just really challenging things happen. So I really sort of dug into how we think about grief and, and bereavement leave and bereavement policy and bereavement response oh gosh, in yeah. the workplace. And then yeah. my work took sort of this other focus um, over the years of how, you know, the grief and death experience and end of life experience is different for folks of color. Um, and that sort of led me to where I am now um, founding um, this is like fast forward years, but founding pause, um, the, the nonprofit that, um, I run now and we do, you know, how you and I met, we do, we launched and piloted a business development residency for other folks of color, um, that similar to me found a calling, found a purpose, said, this is the work that I want to be doing. I just need to figure out how to do it. Um, we launched a business development program for them to support, um, an annual cohort of folks that, that really want to dig into the space and build something sustainable. And so I reached out to you cause I was like, 
I want their, you know, for me, I'm like, amplify, amplify, <laughs> megaphone, yeah. please talk to these people, <laughs> put their voices anywhere and everywhere. Um, yeah. And you did, which was lovely. And then you also were like, but you, but you. <laughs> but you, um, but you. So that's yeah, how we're, totally. how we're here. Mm, thanks for all mm. that. Um, I'm emotional. N- no surprise. I just, you know, I'm feeling the, the loss of your mom right now. And I'm wondering like I'm so relieved to ever get a chance to talk about that mm. part of my life because it's so rare that I get to, even for me who really started making space with our events that led to the nonprofit. Um, like I needed the place to talk about her and her life and her death, even especially maybe, um, and the grief that connects to me for that. And I, I guess I'm wondering if you wanted to share a little more about how that went down and also know and, and have felt before, not like I, like I, I don't want to share it with someone, you know, like I don't want to talk about it sometimes, you know, how private it is, how intimate and precious we want to hold it. So it's okay if you don't want to talk a little more about how, how that happened um, and what that was like for you. But I'd love to hear about it if you felt like sharing. For sure. Um, Yeah. I, I don't, there's pieces of it that I don't talk to people about, but I don't hold that close to the chest because I think, you know, one of the reasons that I got so deep into this work was because I recognized very, very early on how important it can be to talk about these experiences and how we process them because it Mm. models, it allows other people to, to learn from your experience, how to articulate things that they've never been able to articulate, um, listening and working with other folks whose moms have died, like taught me, Oh wait, that's why I felt that. And I'm not alone in feeling that that's cool. Thank you for being so open about (laughs) it. (laughs) Yes, totally. Gosh. Um, I I never want to, I never want to overdo the, like, we're the same person. You know what I mean? You're just like, bro, we're not, but I do, I do, I do want to (laughs) acknowledge something that I felt early on when we first talked, which was like so many similarities. I mean, just even the example you said of what it meant to go to work at a company that didn't, you know, like most companies do any work in death and end of life and grief, you know, just trying to get done what needs to be done in the capitalist machine that, that has us doing the things, most of which that we have to do in this world and country. Um, and knowing what it meant to go back to that, that job at when my mom died and how traumatic that was like, that was trauma. Anyway, I'm highlighting that as a, a version of many things I feel when you share your story with me. And, and when we've talked where I'm like, yes, yes, like absolutely the feeling of hearing someone express something in words that you needed to hear to understand how you feel, um, and the power of that exchange. So I'm just, you know, feeling it, feeling, feeling that like, so thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let's talk about Deborah, you know, and, mm-hmm. and what, what happened for you, how, how that was. Yeah. I'm going to take a drink really quick and I have a really loud cup and a really loud straw. Great. Okay. We're actually going to keep this in. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> we all need to hydrate. It's, it's modeling. It's modeling. Right. Hydrate hydration. water, self-care. <laughs> um, so, okay. So my 
sort of story is, um, so my sister, oh, let's, let's see, where do we want to start? My sister, um, got married in September, 2016, right at the end of September. And the night of her wedding, we, um, we were all out, we were partying. It was great. And my mom, um, went outside and walked up this sort of like really slippery, um, like tile floor in the, the, the place where my sister was getting married and my mom slipped. And that night she slipped, she fell, um, an ambulance came, took her to the hospital and she was in the hospital overnight. And then they discharged her the next morning saying seemingly everything was fine. And so, you know, (laughs) it was such a, this is all going to come full circle, but it was, it was such a weird time as well because my now, like I said, my, my boyfriend at the time, my now husband, and I actually, the day after my mom got out of the hospital, we were leaving to go and move to Scotland. So my mom went into the hospital Saturday night. Um, she got out on Sunday. We said goodbye on Monday and we got on a plane and we went to the UK. And when we left, um, we thought, you know, she's okay. She's fine. My mom and I had a challenging relationship. So we actually didn't leave things on like great terms because of some stuff that had happened. But I was like, okay, bye. See you later. Um, we're going to go move, you know, across the world now and we'll, we'll see you when we see you. Um, and so I was there from like, I think we got there Monday or Tuesday and I got a call from my dad that weekend. And my dad said, you need to come home. And, you know, my dad and I had always had this agreement because I traveled a lot. I moved a lot. I was constantly all over the world, just around, around, around. And my dad, um, a couple years earlier had told me, because my mom was in in and out of the hospital a lot as well. My dad had told me, I don't think you need to come home every time your mom is in the hospital because it's so frequent and usually things are okay and we have really good health care, et cetera, et cetera. But there's, if there is a day where I call you and I say, you need to come home. Mm. It is, you need to get on a plane yeah, and you real. need to come home because this is real. And mm-hmm. I got that call that weekend. Mm. So we put me back on a plane um, to come home. And I think I got back on like the Sunday night. Um, and my mom was already, um, unconscious on a ventilator and she died the following Wednesday. So she died a couple Mm -hmm. days later. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, I have control issues (laughs) and I am a spreadsheets person. I'm a planner. I'm a like, you know, I think ahead, I, I really like to, you know, put puzzles together. I have an ops brain, a systems brain. And so the thing that I sort of immediately went into after my mom died was I will plan the funeral. I will organize the people. I will do all of the things that put me in a place. I realized this later at the time I was just like, I need something to do. And Mm -hmm. now I realize, like, I just have, I I need control. And so I planned her funeral. I like did all the logistics to get the people down and to get the catering from her favorite restaurant and to do all these things. I was the one who went to the funeral homes with my dad and then decided, fuck, this. We're not doing this at a funeral home because these experiences are horrible. So I planned it at 
the house that I grew up in with my parents. And it was like, I sort of lost myself in, you know, thinking about how many chairs we would need and how many shrimp we would need and where the flowers were going to go and collecting photos from everyone. And so after she died, I was in logistics mode. Um, and the funeral was beautiful and it was amazing. And, you know, my mom's from Canada, so her family came down and it was really lovely to see everyone. And then slowly as people left, that's when it ended up for a while, um, just being me and my dad. And that was sort of when I went into, I think this, um, place of recognizing I need a lot more support. Mm -hmm. Um, I need a lot more resources. I don't, I, I'd never experienced and navigated a loss before that was as, as big as my mom. Um, yeah. so I think in those couple of days after I had this like really sweet spot of being able to do a lot of things and, um, stay really busy. And then from there, things just got kind of wild and spirally. So did you, thanks for sharing all that. Mm. <clears throat> did you, do you feel like it sounds like your mom wasn't able to communicate by the time you got no. there? Yeah, no, no. Did you feel like you had some kind of time or communication or like being with her that gave you, I'm just, you know, again, any of this stuff, mm. you can be like, I don't want to dig into that, but I'm thinking of what it felt like for you to, with a complicated relationship, like we likely all have versions of with our parents, but what you pointed to when you left to go to the UK, do you feel like coming home and being just even with her in that state for a few days gave you some time to like get some closure or say some things in hopes that she could hear you or I don't know. Um, um, no. Like, honestly, yeah. um, yeah. she sent, I still have it on my phone. This is like the one thing that I, I have a screenshot of it. So I, I hope I don't lose it. But um, she sent me a text between when I left and when she ended up in the hospital. That was, um, that was very lovely. And she said she was very happy that I was, you know, with Daniel and that they really loved him. But um, I think... I think that's when that text came between then. And, but by the time I got there, it, it, like, I don't remember having those moments of like, I'll sit there and whisper in her ear to make mm -hmm. sure that I've at least said it. Mm -hmm. um, she didn't look great. It was like, and it, you know, it, like it wasn't like a, she's going peacefully. It, it was like yeah. so wild to show up and have her, have deteriorated so much and also just mm -hmm. not be present at all. Um, yeah. And over those couple of days that I was there, her body was just rapidly, rapidly shutting down. So it, it wasn't her anymore. And maybe that's where I didn't feel the, the, the pull or the push or the necessity of even trying to do that because yeah. it really wasn't her. My dad did get those moments. Um, mm -hmm. But I think and and the other he, he told you that or you oh, no, were I witness was there. to that yeah I was right there. yeah um and i want to make sure you know elisa that i'm not i don't mean to imply like 
boy, I sure hope you did, you know, oh, like, no. I, and, and maybe you did, maybe you wish you had, I don't know, but I don't mean to ask that question. Like, boy, give me that like sweet, dramatic, like movie moment, oh, yeah. you know, because <laughs> it doesn't exist. And I'm like, exactly. that's, fine. Um, exactly. <laughs> that's fine. That's my reality. And right. I think there Thank are you. other things that I have um, done, processed, felt that, you know, in the last, you know, years, have probably felt even more powerful and important for me to have as moments with my mom than That's anything right. that I would have done just totally for the sake of, yeah. of like saying something while she was still technically alive. Because mm-hmm. again, like she, she, she was a shell. It, it really was not her. And I think one of the other things that's really challenging about it was, so when my mom ended up being taken to the hospital, um, my dad is a doctor. My mom was a nurse and worked at the same hospital like for decades. And my, my dad mm-hmm. did. And that was where all of her care had been. All of our care had been growing up. We, it was basically like second home, tons of, you wow. know, just like family friends. Everyone it felt you, like yeah. we were really attached to that hospital. Mm. But because of the ambulance that picked her up, my dad begged them to take her to that hospital and oh they wouldn't. Gosh. They had to take her to another hospital. And the hospital that they took her to is known for not being great. Um, And I think being in that environment made it really hard to, to process like we, where even are we like, what is even happening right now? We shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be happening. And like this environment, she was in the ICU too. So it it just didn't, it wasn't, it didn't make a lot of sense. And it, it was really, really frustrating for us at the time. And, you know, we got a call, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever forget this unless my brain maybe one day like allows me to for some reason. But someone called on the day of her funeral, just yelling at me. Why did you let them take her to that hospital? We all know people go there to die. Mm -hmm. Why, why, why would you ever let them take her to that hospital? And I think Mm -hmm. all of that made it, like that time was just so like weird and bizarre and surreal that I think now over the last couple of years, like I've had moments, not like my mom talks to me when I'm in the shower. Like I don't have those moments, but I have these moments where I feel Wait, her. wait, Elisa. What? Did your mom no, talk I, to you in the shower? No, no Sorry, I just that'd be love, cool. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, that's I both cool. love that's me thinking like, hey, that's exactly where it happens in the shower. <laughs> but I love that as your example, which I imagine maybe someone told you at some point, there's like, oh, I talk to my mom every day in the shower, you know? Um, <laughs> I just wanted to highlight the amazingness of that example. Okay, sorry. Yes, so you don't have that, but what do you have? Yeah, sorry to, sorry to interject. Uh, no, no, no. That was a really <laughs> weird example. I don't know why I gave that example. But um, uh, for me, I've had moments where I've connected with her presence mm-hmm. in other ways mm-hmm. that have felt not like we forgive each other and all is resolved, but like we've had those connection points that felt stronger since she died somehow Mm -hmm. than they would have ever felt in that hospital room. Totally. So not that things are... Yeah, I feel that through and through. mm, And so not that things are like resolved, but I've addressed as much as I can the challenges that I've felt um, in the, like to the best of my ability.
Hey, baby. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I wanted to call you baby right there, but uh, it just came out. So I'm sorry. And if you liked it, you're welcome. Want to take a minute to say, hey, do you want to support You're Going to Die, the podcast, and it's being in the world, and more and more of its being in the world? It's very simple. Right now, as you're listening to me tell you to do this, go into your podcast app and click a rating and review. Bump our numbers. They are climbing, and we need your support to get them up and make this podcast more and more visible to more and more community who needs it. That's always what we think about with what we offer. Certainly in our culture, success, numbers, geez, these things matter sometimes to a fault. So to keep a healthy relationship with this work, I think the framing that we want to make sure people who need what we're offering get what we're offering. And your support When I ask you to rate and review the podcast, it's not as much because, hey, we want to be quote unquote successful. It's because we're trying to figure out ways to continually connect what we're offering to other people. And we know this podcast, it's one of my favorite things we're up to. I love the medium. I love the creative work of putting these episodes out. I also love the conversations I get to have. So plenty of good reasons to do it. And we know this is an incredible access point for people to get connected to the other things we offer, not just what happens in the episode. So a couple of ways you can help us do that. Send this episode to someone or an episode you really love. Just take a minute, go to our website or pull it up on your podcast app and send a link to a friend and say, hey, I just know you're gonna love this. Maybe they lost a parent and there's a episode about the loss of a parent. Maybe they love a certain musician that's been on the show. Just say, hey, I know you love this artist, check it out. Connecting with word of mouth, text of mouth, word of text, (laughs) you know what I mean? That is such an effective way to connecting people and growing what we're up to, so please do. And know that once they listen to it, They'll find out that we do a lot of work in this conversation, so they'll go to our website, www.yg2d.com, and see all the things that we're offering. And they don't have to just live in the SF Bay Area. If they're around the SF Bay Area, we've got things going on, in-person events that they can attend, that you can attend, and we do a ton of stuff online, including our grief release every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Pacific, free on Zoom. It's a way to be with community, be in the conversation of grief, share your grief, witness other people's grieving, find meaning out of that connectedness, meaning out of that emotional space, maybe some joy and laughter and more aliveness and connectivity, remembering we're not alone. These are so many reasons why we do what we do and you supporting the podcast supports us connecting people to all of that stuff. And you know what? We're all gonna die someday, so don't stress. We're just so glad you spent any of your precious fleeting time here with us and you're going to die the podcast.
I think it's two things. Sometimes it's having experiences or conversations with other people, like mm. my family members, my dad, my aunts, my who you know, the people that are able to help me recognize and realize the context of my mom's life before she was my mom. And I think that that puts a lot of things into a much bigger picture that helped me understand why our relationship was the way that it was and why she was who she was. And I think that shifted my ability to have like compassion and a release of all of the confusion and sort of like darkness around certain things that I just never, ever, ever understood. And I, I truly believe, you know, I can't, say the words, I'm glad my mom died because I'm technically not, but I know that those conversations with those people and that enlightenment to who she was, I really truly believe that I don't think it could have happened unless she died. I don't know if we would have ever been able to get to a place where I would have learned those things from her or other people without mm. being put in this situation um, to learn them honestly for the sake of that, like you said, ongoing relationship building that is still happening for me and my mom, even though she's dead. Oh, and yeah. so there's that piece. And then there's the other piece of what you said is that sort of like clarity. I think it is, especially since having a kid, <laughs> I'm like, yo, this is hard. <laughs> like, no wonder. Okay, this, yeah, okay, this I, get is hard. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get some of that. Um, and I think uh -huh. there's there's that, and there's just my um, ongoing, I think, relationship to my own grief and challenges in life that when I have a moment of clarity around something that's happened to me, sometimes it allows me to like reflect and create some more compassion and space and grace for my mom and our relationship. Mm -hmm. So I think yeah. it's both. It's, it's both. And then sometimes it's really funny. I don't know. I don't know what kind of stuff you heard like this, but at my, at my mom's funeral, um, apparently there was a dragonfly flying around my head. And this woman came up to me after and she said, your mom was in that dragonfly and that was her spirit, like mm -hmm. flying around you while you were giving her eulogy. And I, you know, was, um, I was at my mom's funeral. So I was a couple whiskeys deep. And in my brain, I was just like, no, my mom is not there. My mom is dead somewhere waiting to be cremated right now. She is not mm. in a dragonfly. And I think those moments have allowed me to also just like, I think both sit with the reality of the situation and it'll, it's allowed me to like create meaning in the things that do let me connect to my mom. So I'm like, my mom was not in that dragonfly. She was yeah. not there that day. But when I see hummingbirds and sunflowers, I don't know if there's going to be a day for the rest of my life where I don't associate those two things mm -hmm. with my mom and feel mm -hmm. like the today it's really like it was so beautiful and complicated at the same time that next to that stand of mother's day cards, which I saw first and I was like, fuck you Trader Joe's underneath <laughs> it. There was a bucket of sunflowers and that was no my mom's way. favorite yeah. flower. <laughs> and oh since her funeral at my dad's house, there have been like for years, sunflowers never, ever grew in this part of his yard. Ever since the year that my mom died, they grow 
like clockwork in that part of the yard every single year. And like, those are the things that I think I was reminded that day, you don't get to create meaning for me and that release in this attachment to my mom. That is absolutely not your job, random lady. But (laughs) I am finding those moments of connection to her Mm. and purpose in these little reminders that I think are giving me sometimes those you know, those moments that I didn't take or create in the hospital when she was dying to find that sort of connection release. Now I find it in, in other ways with these sort of abstract symbols. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. You know, I feel like it's a little micro, I'm wondering for you if it's a micro version of what might connect to so much of your work with end of life and grief, which is something I relate to. Um, And it is that, Looking around, you know, up to when my mom died, after my mom died for years and not finding anyone giving me answers that were worthy of the answers I could maybe find myself. And I feel like so much of our work with our organization has built from that, which is making room. I remember Stephen Jenkinson said in in a documentary and maybe on the podcast when he was a guest on our show. Um, he he just said when someone came to him and said, you know, why do you do what you do? His answer, and I'm paraphrasing was like, well, I looked around and asked everybody else, you know, like, how are, how, how are we doing this? And no one had the answer, Mm -hmm. you know? And I relate to that, giving the responsibility to community, knowing like the hospital, the funeral home, the church, you know, so often, these old ways of being and also often broken ways of, of dealing with these like very real parts of being human aren't enough. And so then empowering others from my own figuring it out to say, how are you going to figure this out? Like, I'm not going to tell you what like bird or animal or flower or, you know what I mean? Like, what are you going to, what work are you going to do to be in the conversation with your dad? You know? And also that might include the room to be like, no, I don't have any of that. Like the way I relate to them being dead is that they're, they were, you know, gone from that body and now it's cremated and, and that's it, you know, mm. and, but that you empower people to own that, you know, and, and somehow and maybe meaning out of that ideally, or some kind of relationship to death and our own death eventually, right. Ultimately that's healthy. Um, a long way of saying and asking, do you feel like some version of what I'm kind of reflecting back at you with that, that share about this woman coming up and trying to put the dragonfly, you know, connection to your mom. Do you feel like that what I just described as a something that infuses the work you do and, and the people you work with around end of life and grief. Yeah. Um, like a hundred percent. I think for me, it, this takes me, I was talking to someone about this at an event last night and I, they're coming up on their first mother's day without their mom. And, you know, I asked, what are you going to do? Like, do you, are, are you going to do nothing? Cause that's sometimes what I do. Are you going to do a thing? Have you thought about it? Do you want to have a conversation with someone about what you're maybe thinking about doing? And, you know, I, sh- I shared with them for me when my mom died and I had my first mother's day, this was long before I had a kid. I was like, okay, I'm just going to Google what do you do? Cause I thought I needed someone to tell me. Right. And then right. the stuff that came up, I was like, 
this is lame. No, I don't want to no, do any of this. Like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. No, 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 no. Uh, and it was the stuff that like, I'm just imagining articles that are like oh the 10 things God. you can do on mother's day when your mom, you know, like shit like that. Yeah. And I sponsored think, by Hallmark. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think it's for me, it made me realize I needed to have conversations with someone about what would mean something to me, but I didn't know sort of how to have those conversations. So that's why I went to the internet and I recognized very quickly for a lot of things related to grief. For me, the internet wasn't really helpful because it was what I needed was so different from throw a rock in the ocean and write her name on it like that. And that stuff for me, I was like, this is probably so beautiful for some people yeah. and exactly what they need to be told. Cause they don't know what it is. That's but important. hundred percent. Yeah. But what I needed was guidance on how to get to something that was actually truly going to be meaningful mm. to me. Mm-hmm. And I think in my work, it's felt so important to say sometimes, okay, here's a couple of ideas in case you need them, but you know, what's more important Honestly, like, let's figure out how to have the conversations with the people that you trust in your life to help you understand and get to the root of what is actually going to be good for me. What is actually going to help this day feel useful to me and meaningful. And I think a lot of what I found at the time was how do we honor the person, right? How do we think and center the day on the person? And I realized I don't really need that. I don't need to sit around and think about my mom for the entire day that I'm awake on Mother's Day and like think about her and write her name down and like dedicate all these things to her. For me, I need to have at this point, um, especially before having a baby, I was like, I need to do a thing that is going to take my mind off of this. And then sometimes if my mom like pops up in that, that's okay. And also I just need to feel good on a day that feels really, really crappy. And I think that's something that in grief and in death, like centering ourselves can be so uncomfortable for people to talk about. But when I hosted, and the first Mother's Day that I actually had um, after she died, I walked around like the we were living in Canada at the time. And I walked around for hours with my husband, the equivalent of like Home Depot in Canada. And I was like, this is what I need. Hours, I don't know yeah. why. I don't know what this is going to do for me, but I need to be somewhere mm-hmm. that's not work. And I just need to be out doing something that has no pressure. And when I founded um, an annual event that I was running called Motherless Mother's Day, I really wanted, you know, for that event to embody exactly what I'd learned, which is it's okay to center yourself on these days that feel really, really awful. And we don't have to do things that are going to make us feel more awful by thinking about a person that we're already thinking about every other day. This is just a day that feels like extra, extra shitty when they're not around. And so when I started Motherless Mother's Day, I was like, yes, we can do some journaling and we can do some stuff. But that very first one that I hosted in Vancouver, um, we did it in person and we did this like combo yoga massage class where most of it was laying on the ground and stretching and having someone like rub your body so that you felt good and got to release things. And then we made candles and we did a little bit of journaling and we ate a bunch of food and drank a bunch. And it was, I think for people who I talked to after the event, they were like, 
it was so nice to not feel the pressure to create a ceremony or ritual that was all about the person. I got to have a little bit of time making myself feel better today. Mm -hmm. And that just, I think, over time has taught me there are there's so much power in figuring out what we need and not being told what we're supposed to do with our grief. If you want to connect to Elisa Forneray and all the work she's up to in the world, just simply go into our show notes and click all the links to find out about her work with Pause. We'll put that link in there too. I'm not going to spell out those links. Just go to the show notes. Or you can Google Elisa Forneray, I'm sure. Boy, this is sounding <laughs> this is sounding just rude. Like, just go and figure it out, everybody. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll make links. We'll make links really accessible in the show notes. Good way to connect um, to her important work. Thanks to Elisa for being on the show. So glad I got to talk to her. And I hope you enjoyed listening. Nick Jaina, how in the Hi. heck are you? How's the weather? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <clears throat> let's try it. Let's just try a shallow interaction and see how it goes for us. Um, yeah. What's going on with the weather for you? How's your relationship to the weather where you're at? You know, my favorite weather. Do you have a favorite weather? I already, I already ruined it. Cause like, who says to someone like, how, how's your relationship to your weather? Like it already is asking someone to be like, talk about your emotions. Um, okay. Good question. Favorite weather. Well, no surprise that the rain is my best match. Um, my emotional, inner emotional landscape. I think there's also something really safe for me in, in being in the rain, especially in the city rain. It feels like the lighting of the city up against a cloud cover with rain kind of creating these sort of walls of water has me feeling safer, you know, like world ends up being small, like on a stage, a beautifully lit stage for, for that, for that time. And I, I think that's why I really love the rain, but I'm also really loving spring and the flowers that are blooming and, and getting into summer with a lot of wonderful trips planned ahead. So I, I, that'd be my second pick is just really, really being glad to get to this time of year and for what summer brings light sun activity outdoors what about you i like today which is uh, spring day there are blossoms but it's like overcast and cold so it's like a the little dip in spring of like mm -hmm. a little step back mm -hmm. i love that it's also a great day for taking photographs uh you know that light box sky mm -hmm. like the diffuse light um I also like a thing that we don't really get in the Bay, but I was in Kansas a couple of weeks ago and the, uh, warm, oh, also the desert, uh, like warm evening wind. Mm -hmm. We don't really have like warm winds in the Bay, 
but I love that like Kansas plains, uh, warm wind at like, you know, just before sunset. Yeah. I miss that when it would happen in LA, like a hot day, uh, ending with warm weather and a little breeze, nothing better than that. But also I wonder during your trip, was there any lightning storms or oh, yeah. sort of humid? Yeah. Ooh, love that. Yeah. Yeah. The, they, uh, yeah, you see them from a long ways away on the planes because there's nothing blocking you. And yeah. so you don't even get the sound at all uh, for a while. Uh, you just get the flashing and you're just wondering like, what's going on out there? Yeah. Well, welcome home, Nick. Thanks. How did it all go? What's your, <laughs> what's your brief recap of the entire experience? How long were you gone? I was on tour for five weeks. It was you know, me, myself, solo driving all of that, uh, time, uh, mm -hmm. doing these tea service shows, also teaching my classes at the same time. Um, it's, it's a lot, you know, I, I realized, uh, we have a big country and there's a lot of the middle part. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of the center. And you really get tricked into just being like, I want to go there. You know, I want to go. I wasn't even trying to go around the whole thing, but just like, halfway and yeah. back it's still it's a lot it's a big country yeah well i'm feeling glad to have you back just loving your audio quality right now um also i i'm sorry everybody. i didn't bring this mic with me on my tour did you, know, you forget I just, I just you know there's like a thousand things i was bringing on tour and yeah. there's always the fear of like what if my car gets broken into like what, I, you know, I don't want to bring yeah, everything gosh, expensive stuff, yeah, everything valuable and lose all of that. And so like, I don't know, I, I made a bad decision of just like, well, listen, don't be hard on yourself. I don't mean to make you feel bad. <laughs> I, uh, I really actually love that we stayed committed to keeping you, uh, recording these closings with me and it accents what's happening and that we're that committed to recording these closers to have the audio prove, you know, you're on the road, you <laughs> called in, you know, like you were our first call in our caller, our first caller <laughs> anyway. And we love good audio, uh, everyone. So, um, yeah, I'm happy to have you back on that mic. Uh, and I want to let everyone know while I think like, like our organization in general connected to the summer vibes and the travel and the outdoors need to be in the sun, maybe for some of us that we're taking kind of a breather through the summer with some of our offerings. And I know Nick, that you're going to take a break offering your tea service. And I got to be a part of his last show. Everyone, I won't even call it that it was created occurrence experience together in community, absolutely led by Nick Jana's good writing and music. Haven't had a chance to say anything to you, Nick, about what it was like, but what I want you and everyone listening to know, because there will be more, I'm sure, coming into the darker part of the year on the other side of summer, is that it was so sweet. I don't think I've closed my eyes and listened so intently and been held so well by uh, an event, at mm -hmm. least not in a long time. And it's probably my favorite I've ever listened to you read your writing. I have moments of hearing you read some of your words for the first time and certainly have read the book you read to us from. And your song selection, the music that kind of held ongoing 
pretty much right when I walked in the door, some of it not even yours, just music that you love. Everybody, it was so sweet and I just can't recommend it enough. So stay tuned, I'm sure, for some of those show dates probably on the other side of the summer, right, Nick? Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was great to have you there. You were a big influence on uh, space holding. I mean, I've just learned a lot from you just watching you in different environments. Um, Thread the needle of like, finding a common center amongst a disparate group of people. Um, Mm. It's kind of an invisible, silent (laughs) ability task that if it doesn't go well, people are upset. And if it goes well, it just seems obvious, you know, but I've watched you do that so many times of just like, we're just getting on the same page here, whatever Mm -hmm. way that means. And it might just be very different things in different situations. And so that, that was a big part of what I spent the last five weeks doing. It's like, Mm -hmm. let's all find a time, you know, like there was one where there was a COVID scare and we all were wearing masks in New Mexico. Times where people are like taking selfies on the way in and just kind of like <laughs> irking me yeah. with that energy. Yeah. Times where people are just walking in like very reverent or very mm-hmm. nervous or very scared, you know, and just like, uh, you just like, we're here together. Let's find a center point, you know, was my mm-hmm. goal every, every night. Well, I don't know what all the shows were. I feel like you did over 70 of them. Um, but mine felt really, really precious and, and a good gang, too, of humans that you'd gathered. So yeah. thanks for letting me finally get to experience it. Yeah. And yeah. And thank you all for listening. Good to have you back, Nick. And thanks again to Elisa. So grateful for this little creative endeavor, this podcast, what it offers in my life, what it gives us a chance to create as an access point to what we're up to. So please check out our website, www.yg2d.com and keep listening, share the shows with your friends, rate and review it, please let people know what we're up to. So glad you're here. So glad you're alive until next time. Bye-bye.